Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. You guys can take a seat. It's so good to have you here at our second service. If you have your Bible, or if you'd like to turn on your phone, you can go to John chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. We're in this series called Believe which is a study through the entire Gospel of John. And I just wanna remind you about our key verse for the whole series before we get into today's topic. At the very end of the book, in John 20, verse 31, it says, but these are written in order, this, in other words, this entire book is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And our heart for this series is that in a world full of cynicism and death, we will be filled with belief and life. Who's with me on that? Today is called The Power of Testimony. When I was in my young 20s, I got in a really bad car accident. It was basically a head-on collision. It was one of those where you spin out, and I, I blacked out, and I ended up waking up in my car surrounded by glass and people and blood and all of that, and I got taken by ambulance to the emergency room, and so did the other driver. Thankfully, we were both okay, and I didn't hear any more details about the case for a little while, but then I had to go appear in a courtroom uh, to figure out settlements, and I wasn't even sure what was gonna happen. I was like a 21-year-old kid, and little did I know the other driver was accusing me of being completely at fault for the accident, and also little did I know there was a police officer who apparently was the first on scene at the accident, talked to the eyewitnesses and was able to study uh, the skid marks on the road and had already gone before me and testified that there was absolutely no way that was in any part my fault. And it was 100% the other person's fault. And I didn't even have to testify or say one word. It was solved before I got there. I just had to show up at the court case because of the power of testimony. Testimony in our world, in courts of law, and way beyond changes everything. And my parenthetical title for today's sermon is The Validation of Jesus' Life and Work. And this text is filled with testimonies that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Promised One. And Jesus is here interacting with the Jewish leaders known as the Pharisees. And they were angry at Jesus, threatened by Jesus, because he had healed someone on the Sabbath, which broke their interpretation of the law. And that's where we pick up in verse 31. This is Jesus talking. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, talking about John the Baptist, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you, 
I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Lord, we come before you humbly, and by reading your words and making much of your voice in our lives, we were posturing ourselves to sit at your feet, the great teacher, the one who holds life and death, the one who overcomes all, and we just welcome you here in this place. Holy Spirit, would you come and quicken your word in our hearts so that we can understand, so that we can see you, so that we can know you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to go through each verse here, and there's a lot here, so stick with me. He started by saying, if I testify, testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. So he's, he's wrestling with the Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, about what authenticates his life and work. And he's saying, it's not just about my testimony about me because he actually does testify about himself at other times. He's saying there are many others that testify about who I am. The Greek word for testimony means one's own story. So all of these testimonies that point to Jesus are people talking about their own story and how it testifies to him. And number one in your notes, a testimony is powerful because it is based on experience. You have an abbreviated version of that in your notes just so you don't get fused. I was a little short on space this week, so it's framed a little different. A testimony is powerful, powerful because it is based on experience. There was a young woman named Lauren McCain. She was one of the college students that lost her life in the shooting at Virginia Tech on April 16th back in 07. I'm sure many of you remember it. She was a freshman. She was from Oklahoma, and she left a powerful statement about her faith on her personal website. The 20-year-old had written, The purpose and love of my life is Jesus Christ. I don't have to argue religion, philosophy, or historical evidence because I know him. And she had learned at that young age, you know, especially you you face this on college campuses and you face it if you're out in the real world at all. Sometimes it actually is a detriment to just argue religion or church history or philosophy. But the thing that's so powerful about experience is that if you know him, you can say, I know this one of whom I speak. And here's my story. Here's my experience with him. And she left that testimony. I love to learn in life. I know we have a lot of learners in our church. I love learning from people that are older than me. I love learning from peers. And I love learning from people that are younger than me. But one of the things I find myself consistently wanting from those that I'm listening to is that they are actually practitioners about what they are teaching. Can anybody relate to that? It's kind of like the lovely people out there that like to criticize parents, but they have no kids themselves. Anybody? Any other parents out there ever want to just strangle somebody? I, I, I shouldn't say strangle. To love in Jesus' name, roughly. I just found out, and I'm not going to say the author's name, that there was this author of multiple parenting books, multiple marriage books, multiple principles about how to do life, and uh, he never had uh, a wife or kids, yet he wrote all about it. And told everyone else what to do. And I mean, I would like listen to the principles, but I'd also be like, dude, you have no idea 
what you're talking about. I want to learn from practitioners. I want to learn from people that have gone before me, that have been in the trenches. And that's what's so powerful about testimony is it is about experience. It's hearing from actual practitioners. Reading on, we see the first testimony about Jesus in verse 33. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, Jesus said, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. So a lot of these religious leaders at the time were willing to receive from John the Baptist. And Jesus is saying, you received John the Baptist's lamp, you received his message, yet John the Baptist, in his own words, was only here to prepare the way for the Messiah, was only here to prepare the way for Jesus, so much so that John the Baptist allowed his influence to diminish, his platform to completely go away. He said, I must become less. Why? So Jesus can become greater. So he's talking to them and saying, you're missing the whole thing John the Baptist was pointing to. John the Baptist testified about Jesus. He was preparing the way for the Lord. And then in verse 36, Jesus goes on. I have testimony even weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing testify that the Father has sent me. So the works of Jesus testify about Jesus. And if you look at that verse closely, it's talking about multiple tenses. It says there are the works that he's given me to finish, things that are in the future, and there are also very works that I am currently doing, which I also believe when you study this, talk about all the works that he had done leading up to that. You see, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So the works of God have been evidenced throughout history, beginning with creation, and they all testify and point to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, currently, I am doing some of these works. He would heal people. He would call disciples to follow him. He was literally unfolding the story of God that was prophesied over 600 years before Jesus came on the scene. And when the creation narrative that we read about in Genesis, God said, it said God spoke all things into existence and Jesus is the word of God. So through Jesus, all things are made. These all testify to Jesus. And then he alludes to the work that the Father sent him to finish, which is the work of salvation, the redemption of mankind. And remember Jesus' last words on the cross, it is finished. So all of these works, Jesus is saying, testify in this incredible, complex, yet cohesive narrative that no one could ever put together. All these different authors, all these different contexts of life, all these different times pointing to and prophesying about this man, the Son of God, Jesus, standing right in front of them as they reject him. They all testify to Jesus. And I wanted to just do a little side note before we continue in the text. Jesus said, it is finished as he hung on the cross. And I just always wanna remind us of this powerful gospel. We think that we put our faith in Jesus and then we somehow have to like finish our salvation on our own. You know what I'm talking about? We somehow then just, we need to work it out and make sure we keep it and make sure we, we live just right enough that we still have been able to cling to that salvation. It's exhausting because we're so flawed, but Jesus said that his salvation is finished. And the scripture teaches us that as soon as we accept what Jesus has done, receive his salvation. We received not the unfinished work of salvation, but the finished work 
of salvation. That's what we receive when we put our faith in him. Now, we are still in process ourselves. We are still unfinished people. I like how Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Graham, used to always say it, still a work in progress. She had this shirt that said work in progress. And I was like, oh, if, if uh, her name was Ruth, right? Am I getting that right? If Ruth, if Ruth Graham is still a work in progress, then I feel a little better about being a work in progress. And I love this phrase, and it's a little lower in your notes. It's worth remembering. We are unfinished people resting in the finished work of Jesus. And I just wanted to remind you, I hope you can find some, some rest this morning by reminding yourself of the gospel. You and I both know that you're unfinished and I'm unfinished. How many of you guys were reminded even this morning or maybe just yesterday that you were unfinished? Literally raise your hand. I bet you every hand should go up. If you have any honesty, your hand goes up. If you have any sense of self-awareness of your own brokenness and your selfishness and, 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 and how you make your decisions, you realize you are unfinished. But in Christ, in the gospel, we can still find the deepest soul rest in his finished salvation, his finished work. I love that. I have to preach that to myself every single day. And then in verse 37, Jesus says, the father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. So we've seen John the Baptist testifying. We've seen the works of Jesus testifying, the works of old, the present works, the future works. And by the way, I was remiss, I wanna remind you, all the work of Jesus as evidenced in the saints that have gone before us now form what the, what the scripture calls a great cloud of witnesses that calls out to you and me and testifies to who Jesus is. And then the very work of God in our life testifies to each other about who Jesus is. So past, present, future, testifying to Jesus. And now we see the Father himself testifies about Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the father affirmed his son again. And then if you fast forward to John 6, 44, it says, no one can come to me, Jesus, unless the father who sent me draws him. So in a very real sense, the very act of coming to Christ is the testimony of the father because he had to draw you. So the testimony, of the, the testimony of the Father about who Jesus is, is ongoing. I relate to that personally. When I was a, a teenager, I came to know Jesus. And, and I honestly feel like God grabbed me. <laughs> I feel like arrested by the call of God. I know that the Father drew me to himself. And I responded to it by God's grace. And then Jesus gets very intense here as he talks to these Pharisees. He says, you have never heard his voice talking about the Father, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. They are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Can't you hear the frustration in Jesus here? Because ultimately we know that, that Jesus loves these Jewish leaders that he's talking to. They're included in the ones he dies for. They're included in the ones that the Father's heart breaks for. He loves them. 
He wants to walk with them. He wants them to step into salvation. But he's just, they're diligently looking through the entire Old Testament, because there is no New Testament yet at this point. It's, it's, it's being written. They're, they're, they're diligently studying and memorizing. These people have committed their entire life towards knowing the scripture. As young boys, they would memorize entire Psalms word for word. They would outpace likely any of us with scripture memorization. Yet here is Jesus saying, you don't know the Father. You think you have life in the scriptures, yet you're missing me, the life that stands right in front of you. It reminds me of my oldest daughter when she was much, much smaller. She went through a season where she, every day she would ask us to take her to the mall. We were living in Southern California, and uh, she just wanted to go walk around at the mall, go to Claire's, get some earrings, um, whatever. And she would cry about it if we said no. And the strange thing was she began to be so worked up about going to the mall that even when we took her to the mall, this happened more than once, she would be walking through the mall, still crying, asking us to take her to the mall. She'd be saying, mom, dad, all I wanna do is go to the mall. And at this point, we would take out our phone and just film her like we're those parents. She's having a tantrum in the mall about wanting us to take her to the mall. And we're just thinking, there's, enough, there's no way we can answer your prayer. You are in the mall now, my sweet daughter. We are at the store right now, yet you are still bawling your eyes out, wishing you could go to the mall. Look around, Novi. Look around. Look at all the stores. Look at all the lights. Look, there's the food court. We're at the mall. And I just, in a much more serious way, imagine the heart of God breaking, talking to these leaders that think life is just in the scripture. So here, to be clear, the scripture testifies about Jesus. Jesus is clear about that. This is not to make a little of the word. God speaks to us through his word. We should memorize it. We should seek him in his word. But this passage also tells us this. It is possible to know the scripture and not know Jesus. It is possible to know what God wrote, but not know the author who wrote it. This happened to me for years in my life. I've talked about it before, but I was basically born in a pew. I was raised in the church. Some of you guys have the same kind of story. I learned lots of scripture. I even did something called junior Bible quiz where I memorized scripture and competed with other kids that memorized scripture for trophies. And I crushed kids all the time in junior Bible kids. I went to regionals. I went to nationals for mem all before sixth grade. I probably knew more scripture in fifth grade than anyone in this room because it was competition. But I could care less about Jesus at that time. I did not know the Lord. I could compete with scripture. I could shame some other kids with scripture. I could fulfill my selfish ambition with scripture. I could pound some people with scripture. I could shame adults with scripture, but I didn't know Jesus. I'm kind of joking, obviously, but it's a true story. And then years and years later, I met the living God, right? We know this, but being in church and quoting scripture does not mean you know Jesus. Serving on teams or even leading in ministries does not mean you know Jesus. It just doesn't. We're in the Bible Belt. There's a culture of Christianity. Lots of people name churches. Lots of people name ministries. Lots of people start projects and do all kinds of things. And it's not to throw shade on those people at all. And it's not for me to determine who those people are. But we know plenty of people are living that life. And if it's you, you know it's you. And it's... You shouldn't feel terrible about it, but you have an invitation to meet Jesus. 
What a terrible life to deal in these scriptures and be looking for life but miss the life that stands in front of you. We want you to meet the author of life, the person. So, so here's the shift in principle. Set your heart to encounter Jesus through scripture. Don't read scripture for the sake of just trying to read a lot of scripture. Like if you're doing Bible in one year with me and some of the team and you fall behind, don't get all guilty and feel like you gotta catch up in order to be good, right? I don't care. It might take you 10 years to get through the whole Bible. You encounter Jesus through his word. So don't sit down and be consumed with reading four chapters just so you can check the box. Sit down, and if you read just three lines and God starts stirring in your heart, get on your knees and worship. Pour out your heart to God. Interact with him. Listen for him. So don't get me wrong. Memorize scripture. Fill your heart with the word of God. Seek him in scripture, but make sure you're seeking to encounter Jesus through scripture or else we can become what Paul says, puffed up. We, become, we can become prideful in the scripture that we know. We can become self-righteous because we can quote some scripture or because we check certain boxes with our church. When I finally did meet Jesus at the age of 17, I sat with his word open and saw it as if I never saw it before. You know, all the scriptures that I had memorized as a little kid, I had, I had never even read them basically, but God still used all that scripture memory and it still blesses me today, all that foundation that was laid. You tracking with me? So it's not to, it's not to say that any of that is negative. It is beautiful. But all of a sudden my Bible became tear soaked and, and filled with notes and I was encountering the living God and my life was forever changed. And then reading on in verse 41, Jesus says, I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Another interpretation of the word glory in that last verse could be approval or validation. So read it that way. How can you believe since you accept approval from one another, but do not seek the approval that comes from God? You guys know this, but we as humans are obsessed with getting approval from one another. We're obsessed with gaining acceptance from one another. Most likely everyone in this room can think of one or two people right away that if, if you could ever convince that person that you were just, or rather, let me say it this way, if that person ever just affirmed you so much that they just thought you were knocking it out of the park, they believed in you so much, they gave you so much acceptance, they gave you so much approval, it could change your life. It's people that we find ourselves so hungry for that kind of validation from. And it's not a bad thing. It is human nature. It might not even be someone you know. I've done that with pastor friends that are 10 years older than me that somehow I started living my life where I, I just cared so much about what they thought about what I was doing. It's very subtle like that. For some of you, it's parents or it's teachers or it's siblings. Uh, we are obsessed with validation from one another. And let's just hear the caution of this word that Jesus said. Let's not be obsessed with validation from one another more than we are from validation that only comes from God is what the scripture is saying here. And, and think about it this way. It is possible to have approval from man, but not from God. I think about that as a pastor all the time because Andy was even talking about it a little bit during worship earlier, how we have a version of what we think church is or should be worship. What do we do as a church? What are the expectations? How do we grow? What's the strategy? 
What do people expect? And I'm really careful with myself because I don't live my life for validation from our church family as a pastor. Because I can get attaboys from our church, which I need, keep encouraging me. I'm not saying I don't want that, I need that. But that can't be it. I'm very aware that I could be getting that from my church family while ignoring what God is actually pressing on me, right? So I want to seek the glory that comes only from God, the approval that comes only from God. And the flip side is also true. It's possible to have approval from God and not man. And that's an okay place to be. So we don't wanna be in that first place, but we can function in that second place. We live our lives before the Lord. We can be satisfied with too little when we're satisfied by just people thinking we're doing a good job. We wanna live before God, right? We wanna honor his heart, his will for our life. And then we're gonna wrap with these last three verses. Jesus says, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you will believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? So Jesus right here is he's being a missionary. Jesus was sent by the Father. Missionary means a sent one. You are all missionaries. I'm a missionary. And he's doing what missionaries are supposed to do, understand their context and communicate the message in a way they can hear it. So he's bringing up Moses because the Jewish leaders at that time, Moses was the man. They looked to the Pentateuch, which it was the law of Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament. They memorized all this. Rightly so, God used Moses, but what they were missing is, and what Jesus was trying to say is, Moses was talking about me. Moses was testifying to me. So he's saying, at the end of all things, when everything is brought to account, I'm not gonna even have to accuse you. Moses is gonna accuse you. He's gonna be like my brother, my sister. Check it out, all these prophecies, this whole entire Old Covenant has pointed to Jesus, the fulfillment of the scripture, yet they were missing it. And the way we're gonna apply this with just three, two simple questions and one principle. Do you know this Jesus that has been testified so powerfully about you? I'm talking to you. Do you know this Jesus that has been testified so powerfully about? I'm not asking if your spouse knows him. I'm not asking if you know scripture. I'm not asking if you're a member here or serve here at Graceland. I'm not asking what your ministry is. I'm not asking what you can quote me. I'm asking, do you know him? Do you speak with him? Do you listen to him? Do you walk with him? If so, I'm thankful and you have a very powerful testimony. If not, you can step into knowing him today. It's a simple, beautiful invitation. At any moment, even while I speak, you can start to pour out your heart as a seeker of the living God. And if you feel convicted, wow, I've really just got caught up in the motions of all this, and you feel convicted, I, I just wanna walk with the Lord. I wanna know this life that he's invited me into, then you can re-up that in your relationship with him even as I pray, even as I speak. The follow-up application is, are you allowing your life to powerfully testify about Jesus? Are you pointing to him? And I heard that message growing up, and I've shared this here, but I, I took that as a burden as a kid. I was like a, a middle schooler thinking, oh man, I wanna be a Christian, I don't wanna go to hell. <sighs> I, I wanna, I, I believe this. 
So I have to be a witness. I have to let my life somehow testify. And, and I, what I was really concerned about was like my new Adidas shoes. And I, had, I was getting pimples. And I hated pimples. Can anybody testify? And I was like, God, if you would just take my pimples away, I would serve you for the rest of my life. I would commit everything to you. Everything. It would be fine if this was just gone. And I, I, I had those pimples. And I even got boils up until like my young and mid-20s. Anybody feel my pain? I didn't mean to start preaching about pimples, but... I'm just saying testifying about Jesus is not what was on my mind, right? Yet I was wearing it as a burden. And so I wanted to reframe that as the final point here. Um, rest assured, your life will testify about Jesus as you follow Jesus. So you don't need to be like, oh man, how am I gonna do this today? Maybe I'm not doing it enough. That's not even the question. The question is, do you know Jesus and are you radically following him? Because if you follow him, what he is going to work out in your life is going to testify to him. And by the way, it's not going to make you like awesome so that all your victories testify to Jesus. No, no, no. It's going to make you a trophy of grace. What's beautiful about this gospel is we are all together the same at the foot of the cross of Jesus, broken in sin and shame. No hope. That's all of us, 100%. Jesus becomes the one who is the lifter of our head. When all we can do is stare at the ground, he lifts our face so we can see him eye to eye. He calls us a trophy of his grace because he knows he is the one who finished the work of salvation, and we just get to say yes to it. So in your weakness, he will be made and known strong. Scripture even says his strength is perfected in your weakness. Rather, his power is perfected in your weakness. I want to read to you out of my phone journal. I write a lot on my phone these days because you can save so much in here. It all goes right into the cloud via notes. It was one of those mornings in the Kolar home. This was earlier this week when it was raining a lot. We have four kids between three and 12. On this particular day, they all had to get to school because Clay had preschool that day. And it was raining, and so every child was asking us to drive them to school. They refused to take an umbrella to the bus stop. So Jess and I were already frustrated about that. On top of it, our van was in the shop, so we were down to one vehicle trying to juggle our schedules. The kids were frustrated and arguing over lots of little things. Jessica and I were frustrated with the kids rushing around and already carrying the weight of the upcoming day of work, the decisions, the meetings, and we were just trying to get the day started. In other words, all of us were missing the mark in some way or another. This was not how we wanted our family to speak to one another. This is not how we want to parent. This is not how we want our kids to behave. I ended up with Kenzie, Nessa, and Clay, the three younger ones, after we had taken Novian early, because she starts earlier, and I was taking these three to their two various schools, and they sat in my car. The tension was still in the air, even with the little kids. They're only nine, six, and three, but kids are aware of the atmosphere of the home, right? The tension was still in the air from the previous arguments. It was so bad that I didn't even turn the music on. That's how you know if it's really bad with me. I don't put any music on. So we drove a few minutes in silence. Though I hesitated for fear of seeming hypocritical, I decided to start praying with them as we usually do at some point in the, in the morning. 
Let me encourage you, if you're ever not praying because you feel hypocritical, just get over it and pray, right? As I prayed, what came to my mind was what Jesus told us to pray in Luke 11 and Matthew 6. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So that's what I said. And as I said those words, I looked over at my little nine-year-old. This is, it's weird to be having these interactions with my nine-year-old, like the, the fruit of my life. And I looked over at her and she looked at me. And when I spoke those words in the prayer, it like it, it's like it broke the tension in the car. And her and I were able to both look at each other and realize, oh yeah, that's right. We've all sinned and we all must forgive. And that's how we receive the forgiveness of God. Immediately the tension was broken. We apologized to one another. And all of a sudden, the kids were literally in a moment laughing, filled with joy, and ready to go into their day. Have you ever experienced that? Like at one moment, thickness in the air. And it's really crazy when it's with your kids. Who can relate to what I'm talking about? As your kids get older and older, they're aware of all this. And, and you have to repent before your kids and ask forgiveness to your kids constantly. I do it on the daily right now because I overreact about stuff constantly. And I overreacted about stuff yesterday. And I had to say, no, Novi's 12 and <laughs> she'll call me on it. And I always, I always have to apologize and repent. And they, they do the same. But here's the reason I share this story. What happened right there is what testifies to me and my kids about Jesus. It's not perfect church attendance. I mean, that matters. It's not scriptures that I try to get them to memorize. It's not trying to look good on the outside. It's what you do in the moments of failure. It's what you do in the mistakes that you become a trophy of his grace. Let me invite the team to come up. Lord, we give you thanks today that your word is true and that the theme of this gospel of John is true. These are written that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that in believing we may have life in his name. Lord, and just pray this with me, church. We want to have life in your name. We want to have life in your name. And then we want to actually walk in that life. Teach us to respond to the one whom has been testified about from ages past in the present from this great cloud of witnesses, these saints of old that, that, that sing down to us, that, that communicate to us here on the earth now, you can trust this Jesus. Life can be different. The onset of the new heavens and the new earth, the new way of thinking, the kingdom of God, it is here now and it is not yet fully come. You can step into it now. There is life in his name. So Lord, we just wanna receive that. We just wanna say yes. And if anyone here answers the question that they don't know you yet, just pray this with me, guys. Jesus, I wanna know you. I wanna say yes to the invitation to follow. Thank you for inviting me by name to follow you. I confess my sin. I confess my weakness, my failure. And I thank you for your forgiveness through the cross. I thank you for this work of salvation. I say yes to it, and I commit my life to you. Lead me in the way everlasting, I pray. God, we want to be a church family that, uh, that doesn't just memorize scripture for the sake of it, but meets the author of life through it, walks with the author of life, and invites others to walk with the author of life. 
We thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, we recognize and rejoice in the fact that we are not alone and we stand as part of your body. And we give you thanks today for your word to us in Jesus' name. Church, let's just give thanks to God. Let's our, let our hearts glorify him. We worship you in this place, Lord. We thank you. I'm going to pray this benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. Amen.